0: Welcome to Save What You Love. I'm Mark Titus. Well, here we are. This is the Ray Troll episode. I have been looking forward to this for a long time. As a matter of fact, when I was dreaming up Save What You Love, I knew Ray was going to be a big part of this. This is the first interaction we get to have with Ray his whimsical ways, his ratty, ratfish fascination, and honestly, his depth of curiosity that is the driver for saving what he loves that's where we connect. I hope you connect there too. I hope you dig this episode as much as I did while making it. Enjoy the show. How do you say what you love when the world is burning down? How do you say what you love when
1: pushes come to
0: show How do you say what
1: you love when things are upside down?
0: Say what you love. And times are getting tough. Ray Troll. <laughs> Mark Titus. Yes. To see you, sir. It's happening. I'm <laughs>
1: so grateful you're on today. Thanks for joining us. Well, an honor, a privilege, and uh, yeah, podcast land, man. It's uh, It's the <laughs> new, it's, here we are. It's, it's the coolest. I mean, uh, I really
0: have been digging into these conversations, get an hour at a time or so with folks. And it's honestly, it goes so fast. It doesn't even feel like you got it all. Um,
1: yeah, you I know. understand. So yeah, I've been doing a podcast as well and we've been, it's amazing. We have a little list and we, we blaze right through it. But so we go for two hours. We've actually gone for two hours sometimes, but let's see if we can do this in an hour. Yeah, let's let's try. I we're gonna go and plug into that
0: podcast and plug it real good uh, down the line here when we start talking about your work. But I know you are coming to us from the nearest and dearest place in Salmon Nation for me, Southeast Alaska. For our listeners who've never been to this gem of a place on this planet, what's it like there? What does it
1: sound like and look like and feel like in Southeast Whoa. Alaska? I'm in. Uh, I'm living in Ketchikan, Alaska, where I've lived for 38 years. This is the traditional and contemporary lands of the uh, Tongass Clinkit people, and this is also uh, the shared waters of the Haida and Simchi'an peoples. So this is a great Ketchikan is this part where these this one spot, the sweet spot, where these three uh, in native peoples nations all met here. But basically, I'm in Clinkit in territory. Today it is uh, snowing sideways. If mm. There is, is such a thing. It's usually raining sideways, but we have a we're experiencing a howling storm as I speak. I could uh, point the camera out the window here in a second, but uh, yes. Uh, but also lucky enough to live in the Tongass National Forest, the Tongass uh, National Rainforest. Uh, this is a temperate rainforest. This is such a magical place. This is a place where, you know, you've got old growth trees, hundreds, maybe even a thousand years old that meet the ocean. And it's this magical place that I'm lucky enough to call home, man. You weren't always
0: from Ketchikan. You uh,
1: ended up like that
0: sometimes. uh, Yeah, (laughs) I bet. (laughs) I've spent I've spent a few winters there myself, as you know. Uh, But you came from other places. How did you find your way to the Tongass National Forest? And can you tell us a little bit about your story? How did you come to love the things that mean so much to you and are such a big part of your work right
1: now? Well, um, good question. How did I come to be here? Um, Really, it's a sibling story. I'm uh, from a big um, military brat family. We were Air Force brats, the troll family. So there were six kids in the family. We later found out about two more, but that's another story. (laughs) But uh, since we were in the Air Force, we moved all the time. Uh, Every two or three years, perpetually being the new kid and leaving old friends behind. And uh, so that itinerant lifestyle and uh, grew up in places like uh, Japan and uh, Puerto Rico, Alabama, Virginia, the list is long. But really it's kind of amazing to think that um, four out of the six troll kids ended up finding Alaska and calling Alaska their home. So uh, wow, was, that is. I was the last troll to, to arrive, the first troll to arrive They're usually arguing about that, but my sister, Kate, uh, who lives in Juneau, my brother, Tim, who lives in Anchorage and my sister, Mary, who also lived in Anchorage for many years. And, uh, so the trolls found their home up here, the wandering trolls and what a magical, cool place it is. And it was a sibling. It was my big sister, Kate, that in the summer of 1983, in the spring of 1983, she reached out to me. I was fresh out of, uh, grad school pretty much had already I've been out for a little bit of time, but I had a master of fine arts degree from Washington State University. Go Cougs. Holman. Yeah, go cooks. Uh but we love the dogs too, right? Um some do. do <laughs> some <laughs> of us, yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So anyways, um yeah, I moved to the uh, Greater Northwest in nineteen seventy seven, was in Seattle, got my Master of Fine Arts out at uh, uh uh, at Pullman, I've been a lifelong art guy. and uh, But I didn't have anything going that summer. And uh, Sister Kate said, Hey, my husband Bill Hansen and I are uh, going to have a little fish store, a retail fish store on the docks in Ketchikan, Alaska, where there's this thing where these cruise ships are coming. And we're going to put this, right, this little fish shack right down on the dock. And you're going to come up. Can you want to help us out? So I came up to be a fishmonger in 1983 with a couple of art degrees. And,
0: Hmm. you
1: know, if. Story sounds familiar. Yeah. If you have an art degree, you put an art major in a fish store. What do you get? (laughs) You get me. So uh, and a guy with a little bit of an entrepreneurial streak in me, Um, you know, and uh, yeah, I ended up kind of established an audience and found a career and uh, have a family, raised a couple of kids here. And, and uh, now I'm an old man. Well, you're a beloved old man. I have uh, traveled
0: the highways and byways of Alaska and other places with you. And, there is a certain recognition when you come a trundling through the door. Uh, as a matter of fact, I remember having a magazine cover off with you one time in the oh, right. uh, cars <laughs> up in uh, Seward. We should tell that story. That's a good story because well, Let's
1: do. Yeah, well, that's pretty uh, funny. Yeah, because you know, I mean, you're a, you're an artist with your own uh, following and establishing, you know, a, uh, you know, an audience. And this was particularly uh, funny though. And we. we we were humble, humble bragging Yeah, that's right. <laughs> to each other about, you know, yeah, sure. A lot of people know my stuff. Yeah, Mark. Yeah. How did it go? You tell her. That we yeah. Were so out we, out were, we were provisioning we in Seward, provisioning
0: Alaska. In Seward yeah. Alaska. We were working on a project together filming. About about sharks. About sharks that uh, is still in the works. So stay mm-hmm. tuned. Uh, but we were provisioning in the grocery store and uh, you went running over to the aisle the the checkout stand and you said hey hey check this out <laughs> and proceed to show me your picture on the cover what cover
1: what cover room i think magazine, you were on it? alaska was
0: that, magazine
1: was it alaska magazine
0: yeah yeah, and, yeah you and, know that's incredible, credibility. Which is super cool. And I mean, like, you know, how rare and special and cool is that well, it's to have cool. it's, it's, your mug on the face was, of a killer yeah. magazine? But then the, yeah. funny, the funny part was when I, I – and this was just the most coincidental thing in the world. I didn't even know this was the case, but the article I had just done for Alaska Sportsman magazine – had just come out and was also on the cover. So we held them up at the same time and we showed it to the checker and they're just like, they're like, eh, yeah, well, whatever. Okay. Next yeah. item, please. Beat it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, but anyways, you and I are, yeah, that was a, that was a fun trip and hopefully we'll, uh, we'll get some gold out of it. Did, did we take a selfie or anything there when we were in that? We, we did. Stand? I've got
0: an awesome selfie and we'll put it up in the show notes okay, so y'all, cool. y'all can cool. see it. Um, but you know, so if you know Ray Troll, you love Ray Troll, I would dare say you are a patron saint of Alaska. And uh, most folks down here in the Northwest know your art. You're wearing it right now. It's, uh, In fact, you really broke out of the gates with a particular shirt. And I know you've got one nearby <laughs> that was um, worn by the likes of Daniel Radcliffe, among others, Around the world, and that is
1: spawn till you die. I have uh, I did that in 1987. That image, and I figure if if nothing else, people will know me as the spawn till you die guy. And so maybe I'll maybe I'll have that on my tombstone or something. No, but <laughs> oh you want to see one? Shall I hold it up? Yeah, for hold it, it you? up, hold it up
0: for us. So what Ray's holding up here is a his spawn till you die T-shirt, which has a skull smack in the middle. Two salmon crisscrossing over the top of them. The words "spawn till you die" and around the edges, lots of naked humans to suggest what's going on when when salmon go to
1: finalize the deed at the last act of their life. When they go to the last party, man, the last party. Everybody wants to go to that party, and uh, yeah, actually, uh, there's been "spawn till you die" has been very good to me over the years and uh it seemed to hit the zeitgeist just right and it's still going on and um kind of a bit of a classic you know do two versions of it one in color and one in the classic black and white but yeah you know those naked people on the border i i remember that as the t-shirts start getting out there and different retailers picked them up you know my wife and i well my wife runs a gallery here in ketchikan but we have other retailers that carry the stuff but in the early 90s the Monterey Bay Aquarium was doing a little salmon display and they were like oh we love this we love your art and we want to carry that spawn to you die shirt maybe in the gift shop and i was like yeah they said there's only one problem we got to take out the naked people oh so, my god <laughs> so they uh so they uh yeah to they airbrushed all the uh, naked people out of that but the reason i put that in there spawn to you die obviously was um, and you know me Mark you and I have known each other for over a decade now pretty good uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> there's just a reminder that you know we're all vertebrates and we're all variations in the same kind of vertebrate um, dance of life as it were and we're all connected man so so I wanted that connection in there you know that we look at the salmon in this stream and like you know what they're doing is it really so alien from what our lives are about right. I mean, so right. We do the God, same stuff. God forbid we look at the human form we were
0: brought into the world with. <laughs> I mean, we have such a weird stigma in this country. It just—it's—it's it's amazing to me. Well, right. Yeah. Cover up
1: those naked bodies. But right. Um,
0: well, here's another part of that. I and um, it really kind of uh, drifts into the next part of this. I wanted to talk about um, those salmon make life happen where you are and as a matter of fact they made life happen where i live right now seattle traditional duwamish territory for a time you know salmon were as they are in in the tongas and in um place like bristol bay they are the dna makeup of that place and which leads to the question why is the Tongass so galdern special why is this place that you've made your home such a jewel in the crown of Alaska and
1: our American heritage? Well, I believe uh, we'd have to have the fact checker double check this, but this is the, I, I'm pretty sure this is the last basically intact temperate rainforest left in the world um, here in Southeast Alaska. There has been industrial scale logging that's happened here in the, Well, on a big, big, on the industrial scale, um, you know, uh, starting in the the fifties, 1950s, but, um, these, the forest is basically still intact and the trees are massive and, uh, beautiful beings unto themselves. But this ecosystem that you're talking about, uh, this is a place where it's still working. And, um, that ecosystem has been in place since the ice ages and you know, this forest has been here since the ice ages and likewise all up and down the Northwest coast. And this, this remarkable creature salmon have co-evolved with the, with this temperate rainforest. You know, they stretch back in time in the Pacific Northwest, uh, back 50 million years ago, 50 million, you know, to right after the age of the dinosaurs, there's a creature called Eosamo. And it's pretty clear that EOSamo, which means dawn salmon, hmm. beautiful fossils of these are found in British Columbia and in Washington state. And some of these Eosamo are, are pretty big lunkers. Actually, I've seen some from Republic Washington that are, that are like king salmon size wow. this, and they're 55 million years old. So, th- and it's a remarkable thing to think that, you know, this is a sea creature born in the rivers, goes out to the oceans, it comes back to the very spot it was it was raised in, but basically that it was born in, and it goes out, and it's this thing that literally ties the seascape and the landscape together, and this it's an incredible source of food that sustained this vast number of creatures because you know the spawning strategy is to make you know only one percent of the salmon ever really make it back the wild salmon even hatchery fish they find the same statistics it's something like one or two percent that means 98 percent is basically feeding the rest of the ecosystem they're being picked off you know but they sustain it and uh you know it's a beautiful thing that's still happening one of the things that I just am
0: entranced by in your work is the interconnectedness of things. And as a matter of fact, you and I were connected long before we ever actually met in person. I was connected to you through your art when I was 19. Oh <laughs> yeah. My very first piece of art I ever bought was in a museum in Dillingham, Alaska. When I was working on the slime line
1: mm. at dragnet
0: fisheries in Bristol oh, yeah. Bay. And I saw Midnight Run, which is the name of your print, and I was like, I don't have any money at all, but I the money I dredged up from my pockets and picked the lint out, I bought it. I bought it with what I had because it just it entranced me. I, it took me to another place. And in in that print, and we'll link to it in the show notes. There is this cascading series of waterfalls. Pol- you know what? You're the artist. Why don't you describe to me what's happening in Minright run and especially the interconnectedness and the little, the little friends who peek out from place <laughs> to place that, you know, really make up the special part about the Tongass and
1: other places like that. Huh. Um, yeah, well, you know, that is, I painted that in 1986. It was my first piece of public artwork. It was a wonderful program that the state of Alaska had in place at the time. I think it's still in the law book somewhere, but they're not uh, actually building much of anything here in Alaska since the state is broke. But it's a wonderful program that 1% of public monies, state public monies that was spent will be spent on art, which is a wonderful thing to actually require buildings to have public art. And so I I made a proposal. There's an elementary school being built just north of town. And I drew out this little drawing. And I had spent part of my youth in Japan, living in Japan. So it was kind of a Japanese sort of inspired uh, water pattern, sort of rainbow water. And I'd also been, I'd, I'd landed in this magical place called Alaska, and I was living on Ketchikan Creek for a while. So seeing this whole thing with the, the salmon, um, Yeah, I I did a a painting of all five species, and I was just transformed too by learning so much about salmon because I'd arrived here not knowing a thing in '83. Didn't know a humpy from a hole in the ground, and uh, had to learn all my salmon species because I was a fishmonger. So I was was truly inspired and enthralled by the fish. And I had, you know, I'd worked in the slime line, and actually, I had a studio at Silver Lining Seafoods at the time. So I could go down, uh, I was above uh, the slime line. Uh, at Silver Lining Seafoods, you could go down uh, to the slime line below and grab a fish and bring it up to the studio and draw it and paint it. So, yeah, it includes all five species of salmon uh, plus a steelhead, which is really technically a salmon. And it's in the same genus stuck at Dolly Varden in there. There's a black bear hiding around. In there. There's a comet in the sky because there was a comet that year. I'm just remembering all this stuff. But uh, yeah, and I went around and photographed fish species and walked into the forest and studied stream beds and looked at all that, had all the pictures taped up on the studio wall. It's got a big piece of canvas, stapled it to the wall. It's, like I said, it's 12 feet long and spent about eight months painting that. So, and it's at the elementary school now. And so generations have it's in the library at North Point Higgins. And, uh, generations have been raised looking at that. <laughs> so I'll it's say. cool that you, 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 got the poster, you know, and, I got to say that, um, my siblings helped me out printing some of my first posters, you know, Tim and Kate and Mary, uh, helped sponsor actually put, help loan, loan me some money to print some of those first posters and get them out there. So you got one, man. That's it cool. It, it's so cool. And,
0: uh, you know, it was 1991. Um, so it wasn't too long after you you first made it. And it has stayed with me through every house that I've ever lived in. And there's been quite a few through college and everything else. So,
1: um, you know, it, Marquis, you can always buy, you can buy another one, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably fading Teen away. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Google well, my name, man.
0: That's right. So the the other part about this is in this interconnected piece that I learned When making the breach the first film uh that we we worked on together is that salmon are actually a part of this rainforest a part of this system in a very real way in a way that is was incredibly surprising to me can you talk a little bit about that
1: yeah actually you had some scientists on in that film and um uh, to actually borrow one of the lines in the film the salmon bring the nitrogen in from the ocean who was the scientist that was talking about that on screen? Maybe it was uh, me. But it, it was, uh, um, you
0: were, you were definitely talking about it. Um, and uh, I know Bruce Brown was talking about it. And, I think it was Bruce. Uh, yeah.
1: Yeah. But he, he put it very eloquently in that, but basically, and I did my hippie thing, you know, wow. But when you think about it in the riparian zone, in other words, the river zones where the trees are the biggest in the forest, because because of a reason there's actually this nitrogen basically a fertilizer that comes in from the ocean and into that area of the river and then the bears end up dragging it up into the forest so literally the salmon are inside the trees and when i was hanging out with some scientists and biologists back in the in the 90s this idea that actually you know we can test for the isotopes to see if technically you know you can go over and you can. Look at—I uh, don't know how they do they, they get these isotopes, but uh, it's a fairly straightforward process now, nowadays, I guess. But the actual material from the salmon is inside the trees, and as a scientific surrealist, you know, quote unquote—I've um, thought about that and, and as you, surrealism bringing dreamlike qualities, and just with my artwork try to convey some of these scientific terms or even these cosmic hippie kind of things, but without getting too overboard, kind of sneak it in there. But I did a painting called Deep Forest with a salmon Mm -hmm. swimming through the forest. And also, if you look, you know, details, because I work on these paintings sometimes for well over or maybe a year or so, I'll sneak a lot of details in there just to kind of amuse myself. But the astute viewer might see that, you know, I've actually got salmon swimming in the bark shapes of the tree. And so, yeah, a lot of cool stuff. Love that stuff. Why do you
0: think we, I have got my own answer for this, but why do you think so many of us are so enamored of these creatures, these salmon?
1: For all kinds of reasons, you know, um, a myriad, they're almost too numerous to count, aren't they? In a way, you know, they're, well, they're beautiful. Number one, as mm-hmm. an artist, I think they're just beautiful. The streamlined nature of the ocean-going fish, the goofy, big-eyed nature of the of the juveniles who don't know. Their, I mean, they're so much like us, you know. And then in their uh, senility, when they come back and they hit the fresh water, they go through this incredible physiologic change, and within a couple of weeks, their their bodies just change, and and they. Get on those, you know, like they're going to the party. Get those spawning colors on, you know, and uh, dog salmon get that deep kind of cool camo going, and sockeyes turn a bright, a bright cherry red, and and uh, kings and cohos go kind of dark, you know. They get sort of this black kind of sheen to them, but yet they've grown the big teeth, and then humpies, of course, look start. They're probably the most ridiculous looking of the whole bunch, you know. Uh the males at least in the ridiculous uh big hump. But um, that's they look cool. They look cool, they are tasty as hell, you know. Mm-hmm. I love to eat them. I feel <laughs> guilt when I kill them, though. You know, mm-hmm. it's how can you kill such a beautiful creature? But uh they sustain us, they feed us, they are within us. Um and uh they're also just kind of yeah um, analogies for our own lives, you know. I don't know, and they get even cooler, Mark, if I may, to a segue. Mm-hmm. Please <laughs> get even cooler when you go to the prehistoric past. Well, you are
0: reading my mind, and we're just re- <laughs> we're, we're, we're riding the same wave here because you are you're just going right off my script. Um, why Sorry. You have no? A script? It's, per- it's This scripted. I have a light script. Okay. Uh, It's just so I don't get completely lost. Because I could. I could talk into you. I could go way down that road into the woods and never come out. Yes. But I love how you put this. You you talk about deep time. Yeah. And you are currently hosting a podcast called Paleo Nerds, which is awesome. Thank you. What is it about deep time that fascinates you and you might find this an odd question, but I, I thought a particular germane to you and gives you comfort thinking about things in terms
1: of deep time. Well, actually weirdly, maybe what will you comfort in terms of deep time is, you know, well, I've been a paleo nerd all my life. And so I am doing this podcast with my ventriloquist pal, David Strassman. We've been having all kinds of experts on, but you know, deep time really gives you perspective on the planet gives you perspective on who and what we are who you are what we are where we came from how we're all interrelated we're related to everything at some point and and to really understand where creatures diverge from each other and the and the and the kindred spirit that we have with so many animals you know i mean we're with mammals, you know, dogs are our best friends, right? Because we're kind of variations in the same mammalian brain, but then there's a reptilian brain, and there's a fish brain, and then there's the squid brain. You start just keep going back, you see this connectedness. But the comfort really is, it. you know, species come and species go. Uh, genera, the, the genus that we may belong to. We're in the genus Homo. Our genus has been around for two million, maybe four million years. The genus Onchorhynchus goes back much longer than that. But, you know, basically the comfort is life is going to go on with or without us. It's, the way things are looking, it's going to go on without us. And when you go way back in deep time, you see that viruses, which we all know about now, we're all amateur epidemiologists. Oh, yeah. Viruses may have been the first things on this planet, <laughs> you know. And... Um, Yeah, there's this crazy stuff called horizontal gene transfer that's kind of blowing my mind that 8% of our makeup is actually viral in nature. And Anyways, there's just all this interconnectedness that is truly mind-blowing. So maybe it's not comforting to know that species come and species go, but uh, because unless we – our species has been around for – our homo sapiens has been around for maybe about 200,000 years ago, but it's – um, it's nothing like the salmon have been around, like basically in the Salmonic form for 50 million years, you know? Yeah. You met, you mentioned the
0: genus Oncorhynchus, which is salmon. That's what you're referring yeah, to. Yeah. That's the, um, the different five Pacific species, salmon. Pacific salmon. Correct. Yep. Um, five plus and, more actually. Right. When you're talking about my kiss and which is steelhead. Yep. Clark Dine. Clark, Clarkie, right. Um, you know, the comfort thing, I think, is in that continuity that you alluded to, that maybe there is something that is uh, bigger than my concerns at this very moment that are bigger and going to outlast these things that I'm fretting about and, you know, future tripping or, you know, guilt tripping on in the past. And that there is going to be life carrying on despite
1: and despite despite. and yet, but yet, as we know, I mean, the wild world is vanishing within our lifetimes. Like we've never seen before. And the other thing is that really, when you look at deep time and you look at these massive extinction events, life does get through it, but life is radically changed at all these big junctures in the past. At the end of the Cretaceous, there was a comet that leveled the playing field and got rid of a lot of stuff. At the end of the Permian, we're still not quite sure what happened, but over 95% of the planet went extinct. And it was a whole new ball game after that. You reset everything after an extinction event. It's completely reset. And scientists, you know, over the last couple of decades and within the last two decades, you know, have realized, wait a minute, at the extinction rate that we're going, at the loss of habitat, the loss of wildlife, the loss of species, we are experiencing the sixth mass extinction right now, and global climate change is driving a lot of that. But habitat loss and the sheer numbers of one certain species that is just overwhelming and uh, taking us beyond the carrying capacity of the planet, you know, and that would be us. That would be us. All right. I am going to
0: wrap this all up together, I promise. So bear with me for one second. But given that notion of kind of a, if not general awareness, definitely an emerging awareness that we are in this time of rapid decline for other species, for our natural wonders, uh, for a lot of things we hold dear, how... Do you see the light at the end of the tunnel? How and and maybe not even see the light at the end of the tunnel, but persist on. How, where does your persistence of vision come from? When I talk about you to friends and family, I talk about your volume of work, which is astonishing. I've been to your studio, and the the things people see, you know, all of you out there that no raised shirts and posters and prints that's a fraction of the work you've actually done. How do we, number one, how do you get up every morning? Catch can can be gray and Rainy. We're living through a pandemic.
1: Really?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's, how do you take
1: its toll? Yeah. The, it,
0: well, the, life rain can, the
1: rainforest can get to you,
0: but yeah, life is life. Life is hard. Um, but you still get up with an innate curiosity and get in the chair and start working on these beautiful weird transformational
1: visions. How do you keep doing that every day? Well, you know, the, the well, yeah, there's a lot weighing you down when you think about the state of the planet. But you know, I mean that that endless fascination and a simple thing called inspiration you know, is what keeps me going. And I think what keeps creative type people going, you know, at least the way I'm wired, I really, I'm just dying to paint and draw these, this world around us. You know, it's what I, I just, I literally hum to myself and make weird noises when I'm out, you know, doing this thing I'm lucky enough to do, I'm creating these things and, and kind of seeing a vision in my head and one getting it out of my head. Um. But you know, really doing this, doing a podcast, I, I salute you for doing this because you get to dive in deeper with people uh, into topics. And I've learned a lot on Paleo Nerds, and actually we've been talking to a lot of people about you know deep time perspective. And uh, just this last week, uh, we talked to a fellow by the name of Sam Gahn. And Sam uh, lives on uh, Oahu. Hmm. He's a native Hawaiian who's also in a fossil deprived kind of place, probably the world's expert on trilobites of all things. And so he loves trilobites, but he's a, a bio cultural ecologist. Um, and he turned to his, his, the study of what's happened in Hawaii and, uh, in the past. And so he's worked for the He works for He's a chief scientist for, um, the Hawaiian nature conservancy, but, um, but he published a paper. it was in American Scientist magazine uh, in 2019. Basically, uh, there were almost there were about the same number of people living in Hawaii 600 years ago as there are now. You know his work, and through the, all the research that he did, basically it was a, a large population of people, you know, nearly a million people on the Hawaiian islands in that archipelago. Wow. But yet, they were doing it sustainably. You know, there was an attitude they had about the land, an attitude they had about the oceans, and they were able to sustain a large community. And and Sam wrote this paper; it was really kind of inspirational. We can we can put our heads to this. We are the smart monkeys, after all. We hope, right? And science can show us the way. And actually, and one of the things that Sam was saying uh, in our interview, which will be out in a few weeks was just saying, you know, get to know the place that you're in. And that's what he did. Yeah. Really learn more about it. And I have been 38 years studying the Tongass. I've run around the world a lot in the meantime. But, you know, get in this last pandemic year, I've really been paying a lot more attention to the forest. I'm actually getting to know all the ravens in town <laughs> this year. That's They so know me cool. now. Yeah. But, uh, but, yeah. Hey, if I could steer the conversation – yeah, have it for one second. I wanted to do a show and tell with you though. Okay, because we've let's, mentioned oncorrhynchus before and paleo nerd Oh, my! And this Ray is, is guess what this is. Wow, Ray is bringing you know into the is.
0: camera here a uh, pretty grotesque looking, what? well, in the coolest way possible, <laughs> uh, skull and skeleton of a giant oncorrhynchus. Something I think you're going to tell me what it is,
1: Oncoricus rastrosus, and um, for gill rakers, rastrosus, for all the extra gill rakers it had. It's a prehistoric salmon, and I'm sorry, I just had a geek out there for you, Um, but um, it lived during the Pliocene about three million years ago in the Pacific Northwest and all down the California coast, and uh, it was a gigantic. Uh, filter feeding, probably much like a, a, basking shark or actually, you know, sockeye and chum are kind of filter feeders mm-hmm. has these massive, um, canines, but weirdly enough, the canines point sideways and you know what that's all about, man. Uh, if I were to guess, I would say that's to do battle. To do battle with. Uh, your rivals in the creek—they were anadromous. So. Yes, and if you look at dog salmon, Oncorhynchus keta, um, mm-hmm. their teeth too get rather large, and they grow them, you know, as they get into the into the streams. But uh, those teeth kind of point sideways too. But this is a uh, um, a 3D print from a fossil. Uh, there's actually a spot in eastern Oregon. They were first discovered in the 1960s. But only in the last couple of years did scientists realize that uh, actually the we call it the saber-tooth salmon, but uh, now with these sideways pointing big tusk like things, I'm calling it the giant spike-tooth salmon, and maybe there's an ecologic lesson to be learned here too, in that it was a salmon that reached probably eight feet, perhaps even ten feet, marlin wow. size, anadromous, going up the big rivers, but it's. The bigger creatures in the world that are the most vulnerable. Mm-hmm. So, when the ice ages came and salmon had to adapt to the ice ages, because this lived before the ice ages, um, somehow the loss of that, I mean, I'm just actually uh, spitballing here, but I, I think having maybe glaciers expanding and some of the larger rivers maybe being cut off. I don't know. Basically, you have a, if the bigger creature you are, the more things you're going to need. And actually, this was a planktonic feeder. So, yeah, there's something that affected it. But that's the mysteries of looking in deep time. What what happened with that creature? But it's also inspirational. You want to see how cool salmon are. They once were gigantic. But it also brings us back around to, you know, this is the bigger salmon. You know about those legendary 100 pound salmon. Yeah. And the Elwha and the
0: Columbia June hogs. Yeah yeah and you know, been talking a lot of, lately about diversity and why diversity is so important. The big fish are indicators. The big creatures are indicators of the health of the planet and the the current uh, biosystem that they're in. Um, what do you think <laughs> what do you think the state of affairs with salmon are telling us right now? On the west coast and in all of salmon nation maybe bristol bay with being the exception
1: well yeah the runs here in southeast alaska last year were disappointing um in a big way Um, what do we attribute it to the the world is changing the oceans are changing we understand the carbon cycle with, uh, the atmosphere now. And, uh, in the 38 years I've lived here, I've seen just like the color of the ocean around here change a bit, you know, there's just these uh, unsettling things. Yeah. But I think that there's still a chance there's still, uh, you know, salmon are the canaries in the coal mine, as they say, the warning sign that something's wrong. And, um, Bristol Bay seems to be hanging in there. But as you said, diversity is the key. And scientists have really begun to understand that the diverse nature of Bristol Bay and in, in that there are all these different runs of salmon that go into Bristol Bay. It's not just one. There's all these, it's that whole big web of rivers that feeds Bristol Bay. And each one of those has like specific runs. So if this one in one year peters out or... or if that group is is afflict you know afflicted with something hit with something. It's kind of like the in the portfolio in Wall yeah. Street. This will take care of that. That'll get you through. And nature's like that. If you've got if it's a monoculture with just a few things and you lose that one main thing, you're screwed. You know. Right. It's great to have all these different things that uh, orchestra players. There's a lot of band members. So if the bass player doesn't show up, you've got another one back there. <laughs> I want to go back to um, where you
0: were talking about getting to know where you live. I, I, you know, I, I can't help but keep thinking about uh, a lot of folks I know it, you know, me too, from time to time, it's like, these are daunting issues that we face uh, in in terms of climate change and the world we live in and God help us politics. And, um, I have found real comfort and inspiration in getting out, even here in Seattle, we've got, God knows, we've got our problems here in Seattle right now, growing as a city, um, going through some pretty hard times right now. Um, but an hour in any direction of this city, and I can get out and go explore a new waterfall that I've never seen before, or like you, knowing the Ravens, know every part of this Snoqualmie River, which is just 30, mile, or, uh, 30 minutes away from downtown Seattle here. And so... When folks out there are contemplating the vastness of the issues we face and how to approach those things and save the things that we love most, what have you learned by living in the Tongas and by loving the Tongas so much about how to do what you can based on your heart space, the love that you have for this place, to save it and, and see it perpetuate for the next generation?
1: Well, knowledge is power and knowledge is love, right? And getting to know, just exploring that idea for a second, you know, getting to know where you're at, um, really paying attention to things and I, you know, COVID has made me just stay home and really just stay here and, um, uh, go into the forest a lot and begin to really see, I just began to want to, I wanted to know the names of the trees and maybe the scientific names of the trees and just the way I'd focused on, on salmon, but then also realizing, you know, there's 10,000 or maybe more years of knowledge about this place that my Clinkett and hide and Simshian friends have that's so much deeper. They've been in this place so much longer. They know this place like, no other people can. And, and in my short lifetime, I'm trying to learn as much as I can. But to know it is to love it, right? To know yeah. know, know, you is to love, you know, to care about the place that you live in and to just understand what it is and, and how it's affected by things like climate and storms and knowing that we didn't get this amount of rainfall this year is going to affect the whole rainforest. And knowing, you know, it's kind of like the Kansas farmers are always concerned about rain and the rain content. They can give you weather forecasts, salmon and always tracking how the salmon runs are going every year. I'm always asking how, what's this, what's the season like? What's, what's this year going to be like? You get a sense of the health of the ocean by talking to the commercial fishing guys, men and women that work commercially, but also the sports fishing people. People, sports fishers that get to know a section of the river very well. I got to say that, you know, knowing like the Naha River, you've been up there many times. Yes, Bay, you were a guide up there. You mm-hmm. get to know that section. You get to really care about it, what affects it. I was lucky enough to actually finally get to go around the island that I'd lived on for 38 years just this last week. I was finally able to go around the north end of the island. There was a friend, a couple of new friends came through with a boat. And I said, you know, I've never been around Ravillica Gato Island. So I want to know it so badly; it's on my bucket list. Then they took Michelle and I, and uh, I got to see the Eunuch River for the first time. I've oh, always heard about it. It's this powerful, and it was powerful to see it, and it it's right there. And uh, I- Seattle is in a, a magical, the Northwest. You're in such a magical place. Mm-hmm. Um, You've got the mountains and the ocean and uh, the native peoples and a thriving culture that's, yeah. And there's a car culture there. It's also off the hook too. So <laughs> dial that back.
0: Well, drifting back to um, Reville Gato, the island you live on, that Ketchikan is on. Um, and I, I identify what you were talking about, uh, knowing the different species of the trees. The birds, the critters that run through the forest, the different species of uh, fish in the water. I spent two winters living out in Yes Bay. I used to guide out at Yes Bay Lodge, as you said, and uh, took care of the lodge out there for two winters. And it wasn't unlike this COVID business we're going through right now, in that we couldn't go anywhere. I mean, you were the caretaker
1: there... in the winter out there? Yeah. Yeah. For Whoa. two years.
0: Yeah, well, that's uh, you get a lot of thinking done, don't you? Get a lot of thinking. I wrote a couple screenplays, uh, fixed a lot of reels, uh, did some plumbing and some carpentry, and a whole lot of things. But I have never been more content in my life um, because of the knowledge of and the hunger for the knowledge of place. You mentioned the North Tip of Revillagigedo. I've never been to the Eunuch proper myself. I've seen the color from the Eunuch. Uh, flowing into the waters we used to fish. My very favorite place on the planet to fish is at that north part of your island in the Beam Narrows up up by Bell Island. And just like you were saying about knowing every bit and every inch of that, I knew every inch of the bottom of that place. I could... (laughs) From fishing it, you know, from the sonar that we use, but also just from snagging my lines up and you know, losing uh too many downrigger balls there, uh that I care to mention. But um it's a what amazing. was that
1: phrase you just used, the knowledge of place or the what was you had a you just said something really good there, man. Uh I'll have to go check the recording. The <laughs> <laughs> I'll just that, write it down. That, it's like that's a good phrase.
0: Knowledge of place, yeah. The just knowing every square inch of it, and I'll tell you, there are nights where I will be uh, sitting on the couch with the wife and two dogs, and you know, there's some kind of TV on in the background, but I'm looking at my Google Maps and checking out the Beam Narrows and retracing my steps, and there's such a love in my heart for that place. Uh, It's powerful,
1: powerful landscape, you know, and seascape.
0: (laughs) so much life going through there. And I think where I'm driving with all this is that, you know, the the central focus on this show and the things we talk about, about your heart driving you to do things as opposed to just your mind in Mm -hmm. dictating the choices you make and the things that you really apply your life force to. And that's certainly true with me. I know that's a hundred percent true with you. It shows up in your art. It shows up in the work you do. And I know the Tongass like many places, but in particular being such a gem that it is, is facing some problems right now. Some uh, go, coming up against challenges again with transboundary mining issues on the border with Canada yep. and um, possibly uh, opening it up for logging. The past administration had, right. um, yeah endless yeah. so go. What, yeah. What, what do you do what do you do as a everyday person to try to make a difference to try to save these things you love and you know obviously if you live there you get to see that and 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 be a part of that but what what can we do
1: you know well you know what well, of- I I was on the board of uh, nonprofits and I was uh, I support nonprofit organizations that fight the fight because I've realized they fight the fight and it was taking too much out of me and writing the letters and getting on the phone and running for office. That wasn't, that wasn't me. But of what I realized that my own work, you know, and it's what the nuns used to tell me I was brought here, you know, I have a God given talent. It's a, it's a sin if I don't use it. <laughs> so, but, uh, I feel like, I try to do the best work I can with what I do and maybe in my own subtle, weird, offbeat, funny, irreverent, sneaky, surreal way. I'm, uh, I'm communicating that love of, uh, my subject matter in the places I care about, you know? So it's there in my work. And if I do the good work, uh, people get it and some people don't, maybe they just see the joke. But there's something – I try to bring some substance to it. And, you know, if I'm not passionate about – if I'm not inspired, I I can't do the work, you know. I mean, um, um, yeah. So. Well, I think that
0: is a perfect place to land on my little bonus round that I'm doing with everybody. uh Uh-oh. And that that is – your i've been to your house it's beautiful and your studio is beautiful and we're going to pretend for a minute this knock on wood won't happen but Uh-oh. say your house was on fire oh no
1: one imputed. of those i yeah, do so this was
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> great minds uh other than your loved ones of course you can only take one thing out of the house physically what is that thing
1: One thing out of the house. This is a trick question of some sort here. I'm looking around the house. Um, can I take two things? <laughs> Just because it's you, Ray. Yes, two things. I'm looking around my living room right now. What would I If I ran into the house, and actually I would do, do this. I would say I, I used to do this with... Um, Drawing students, and I would say, all right, okay. Of all these drawings, there's the house is on fire. Which one do you like? So if I had to run back into the house, I have a there's a mask, uh, a beautiful raven mask that a friend of mine, Israel Shotridge, carved, and um, back maybe around 1990, and uh, commissioned him. I asked him, he's tongas Clinkett carver he lives on Bashan Island now but it's one of the most beautiful things he's ever created and I feel so lucky to look at that every day so and it's traditional style and uh just reminds me where I'm at and it was a relationship with a fellow artist um we inspired each other and then I was gonna say there's another painting I'm looking at there's a painting behind me that's yeah so but I don't know I'd probably grab that uh, mask by Israel but there's uh, there's a lot of art in the house and I don't have my own art in my house because it, it would just tire me or too fatiguing <laughs> to look at. Cause I'd be mentally working on it. So I've filled. really, I, I go home and watch the wild every night. It's, <laughs>
0: it's, it's yeah. Well, you time.
1: know what I mean? It's, it, yeah. So take a yeah. break. i leave the studio stuff in the studio, but that's what I would do. I'd, I'd uh, grab that uh, Raven mass by uh, Israel. Okay. Here comes the trick part. Oh, now it's your spiritual house. What are, what are the
0: two parts about you that you would take out of the fire that you had that you you couldn't go on without? Who me? Yeah, like the my spirit things- or someone else's spirit. My spirit. It's About you, yes. Like, what are those things? Are they? Is it? Could it be? You know, your sense of compassion or like, what are those two qualities that you take out of the burning house that you couldn't go on without about yourself?
1: Well, my sense of humor, which is kind of weird and offbeat and kind of dark, <laughs> which you can't explain humor. It's like you can't explain, you can't explain art. Sometimes you just get it or you don't. And humor's that way. Uh, the humor's got me through. I've got a lot of funny friends. Um, I'm doing a show with a ventriloquist and every now and then he's really funny. <laughs> um But, yeah, my sense of compassion, love. You know, we we can't function without love. I love uh, my family. I love my kids. I love my neighborhood. I love the history. I love the forest. I love the sea. I love all the fishes. So it's love, compassion. Um, Yeah. Anything you'd leave in that
0: purifying fire? Anything you'd leave behind on purpose? God, this
1: this is like I'm on the couch, man. Jeez. Um I'd leave the darkness behind. Hmm.
0: I'll take
1: I'll take that. Do you need hey, I expand on the darkness? Yeah, I'd leave the darkness behind. I I know I've tasted the darkness. I know what you're talking about. Well we gotta get we gotta get through life, you know, and, and you've gotta um there's a lot of dark shit in this world. Dark, dark shit, ugly mm-hmm. shit. And mm-hmm. I'd leave that ugliness uh and the darkness and the hatred behind. Only level, conquer hate, and hate um, does us no good. You know? Well spoken, my friend. Um,
0: we have a really cool collaboration about to uh, unleash on the world. And right. yes, it's a, I got to say, uh, you gave me a call and said, hey, you've got a new design. And I'm going to let you describe the design, but would we be interested in bringing it out into the world together as a collaboration? and uh uh, my heart leapt because uh it really brought me back to that 19 year old kid standing in front of midnight run in the museum in dillingham alaska and that guy asked me to do collaborate on something even if it's just carrying it in our little merch store it's it's a huge deal for me and so can you tell me a little bit about, about this uh this shirt this project that uh we're bringing out into
1: the world well, I've known you for, you know, over a decade now and I trust you and I know that you're doing good things for the planet in your own quirky, weird, creative, fun way. <laughs> and I know your heart's in the right place. And um, so actually bringing it back to Midnight Run, um, Midnight Run is an oil painting and oil and alkyd on canvas. And it's long and it doesn't quite fit on a t-shirt in the right way. We've done it on a t-shirt, but it's just not really designed for t shirt t-shirt. T-shirts want to be t-shirts, and designs for t-shirts really should be designed for t-shirts. So for decades, I've wanted to kind of redo it as something that was very t-shirt appropriate. So it was going to work graphically and print well. My printer would be happy, and it would print and look cool on a shirt because you get into the techno end of it. So I redid it, and it's got, once again, the five... Um, species of well-known Pacific salmon. Although, as we know, steelhead are also salmon, and so are cutthroats. And, but um, it's got all five species in their glorious spawning colors, leaping up that sort of rainbow stream. But this time I also I did pen and ink, pencil drawing, drew every little scale, and then I turned to my good friend Grace Freeman, who's a young digital colorist, to uh, really spend some time with digital color. And I hired Grace to work with me on that. And Grace Freeman did a marvelous job. And we tweaked the colors a little bit. I threw some type on there. And uh, you have a special version of that shirt. And mine is going to say, Long May You Run, which is I'm borrowing from Neil Young, who was actually writing about a car in that song, of all things. But yours says what? Well, uh, ours says, guess what? Save what
0: you love. All right. And it's in a different color. Ours is a seafoam green, which is Whoa. actually kind of a throwback. The green and then the art inside of it, your art in the border, is uh, a yellow. And it's a it's a kind of a throwback to our beloved su- Seattle Supersonics here. In- <laughs> we- I didn't see that we- scheme in there. I see. Yes. Ah. Someday we'll come home again. Uh, but, uh, yeah. And great song. One of my favorite songs, by the way. And, uh, what a wonderful print. I will be wearing it proudly. And of course, um, our version you'll be able to get, um, on our shop at avaswild.com. And how do folks get any of your products and follow along with the Ray Troll phenomenon?
1: Well, just Google my name, Ray Troll. You'll find me, but trollart.com is the website. And, uh, if you like listening to podcasts, check out paleo nerds. We get a lot of crazy, cool guests there, but uh, it's not just about dinosaurs, but a lot of other stuff, a lot of heavy stuff, but uh, yeah. So just go And you're me. on social media too. Got a Facebook page. I can't take any more friends. They cut you off at a certain point, but if you just click on, send me a friend request, then you're following me. And I occasionally do Instagram, uh, Ray.troll on Instagram, but there is a hashtag Ray troll thing that, Somebody else started years ago, and so I go and look at that every now and then, and people put their Ray Troll stuff up there. So it's fun to see. Well, I encourage any of you out there to uh,
0: wear your favorite Ray Troll shirt or get a new one. Uh, proceeds from our version of the new collab, the Save What You Love shirt, are going to benefit your brother Tim Troll's work in Bristol Bay. And wow, uh, five, cool. five $5 from each one of the T-shirts is going to go toward, uh, preserving land in Bristol Bay for all time. Uh, so yeah. it can be, uh, cool. left to people and the salmon to continue to flourish there.
1: Yeah. Brother Tim runs the Bristol Bay Heritage Land Trust. It's a nonprofit putting land into, uh, yeah, protection. So it's cool. That's great, Mark. Thank you for doing that. Yeah,
0: of course, man. This is, uh, this is how we do these things and this is how we roll. And it's always, Amazing getting the chance to hang out. We've done it uh, in road trips and a few airplanes and a lot of phone time, but uh, this is a whole new world on this podcast deal. And I thank you so much, my friend, for joining me today and for joining the Save What You Love community
1: here. Thank you. A pleasure, a privilege, and always love hanging out with you, Mark. So give me a call whenever, man, and let's go fishing sometime. We haven't done that yet. Ah, this summer. The summer. Summer. All right. Cool. All right.
0: How do you say what you love? How do you say what you love? Thank you for listening to Save What You Love. If you like what you're hearing, you can help keep these conversations coming your way by giving us a rating on Apple Podcasts. You can check out photos and links from this episode at avaswild.com. While there, you can join our growing community by subscribing to our newsletter. You'll get exclusive offers on wild salmon shipped to your door and notifications about upcoming guests and more great content on the way. That's at avaswild.com. That's the word save spelled backwards, wild.com. This episode was produced by Tyler White and edited by Patrick Troll. Original music was created by Whiskey Class. This podcast is a collaboration between Ava's Wild Stories and Salmon Nation and was recorded on the homelands of the Duwamish people. We'd like to recognize these lands and waters and their significance for the peoples who lived and continue to live in this region, whose practices and spiritualities were and are tied to the land and the water, and whose lives continue to enrich and develop in relationship to the land, waters, and other inhabitants today.